1: See, Paul's saying when you understand your spiritual position, when you live with eternal perspective, when you destroy these earthly passions, and and when you develop Christ-like patterns, then it will be evident that Jesus is ruling and reigning in your life. When others look at you, they will see Jesus... Well the Bible says that if you are in Christ God looks past your sin because he's looking through Jesus and you're adopted into his family. So just like in our world you got a new name. You're now called Christian. But guess what that means? That means that new identity causes you to look differently. So the rest of the The passage, Paul talks about how we demonstrate the difference. So the first thing we do is we we, we understand the importance of our spiritual position, but then we keep an eternal perspective. That's verse 2. Remember what it says in verse 2? Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Uh, Old preachers used to say this. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Well... I don't think we have to worry about that too much anymore. Um, I mean, I did come across this this uh, this guy that said, my wife is, she's like an angel. And I said, really? He said, yeah, she's always up in the air flitting around about something. <laughs> you see, I, I, don't, I don't think our problem is that our focus is on heaven too much. But Paul was saying way back then, hey, Keep your eyes on the eternal prize, on where you're headed. Have you ever been homesick? I remember the first time I got homesick. I don't remember the exact age. I think it was probably six or seven. But I was very frustrated with the government in my house, uh, the, the leadership of my parents. And I decided I had had enough. So I packed a bag. I'm not sure what was in it. I'm sure it was not anything I needed. Um, but I, I packed a bag and I headed down the road and there was this large hill uh, on a roadside right beside the house we lived in and um i don't remember how many miles i got down the road i mean i think it was um oh it was about maybe one tenth of one mile and i i really i realized i was desperately homesick i mean i did not like the situation i had gotten myself into so i I tuck tail and run i went back home um but I also remember other times in my life that I've just been homesick. One of my favorite mission trips was my first mission trip of what's now been, I don't know, 20 or so to France. And it was great. I mean, we not only worked hard, we did a lot of fun things. I mean, we went to some great places, saw some great sites. But I don't know who planned the trip, but it was a little too long. It was 17 days. And by the end of that trip, everybody on the trip, like, we didn't, we knew we didn't like each other anymore. We thought we still loved Jesus, but I mean, we were ready to get home. I want to see my wife, to see my children Is homesick. Paul is saying, if you understand your spiritual position, there's going to be a reality that on a regular basis, there will be a healthy sense of homesickness. When I was growing up in South Carolina, I remember when this guy named Tony Harden, he was our music director, and he would sing this song called Beulah Land, this old gospel song. These are the lyrics. He said, I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. No sad goodbyes will there be spoken. For time won't matter anymore. Beulah land, I'm longing for you. I mean, man, what a great song. And you know what it's about? It's about how you live your life just longing for your heavenly home. Is there anybody in the Lord's house today that says, I can't wait for heaven? Is there anybody here? I mean, I swear I am. Thank you, Jesus. A place where there be no more crying, no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrows. All you got is Jesus face to face and worshiping him. So what's Jesus really trying to tell us here? I, I, think, that's, I think that's the point. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Man, there's so much I don't know. But I think this is true. 2021 marks 30 years that I've yielded my life to full-time vocational ministry. I've seen and heard a lot of problems. But I think regardless of the problem, life would get better if we just follow this pres- prescription. Get your eyes back on Jesus. Your marriage is a mess. All right, get your eyes back on Jesus. You hate your job. All right, get your eyes back on Jesus. You're battling through a sickness you wish you didn't have and don't understand. I get it. That stinks. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Your finances are a mess. All right. He owns everything that is. So get your eyes on Jesus. When we have an eternal perspective, what we're saying is the things of this world cannot keep me down. Why in the world would would your neighbors, would your friends, with the people around you, why would they want what you say you've got based on the way some of us act? Get your eyes on Jesus. The old hymn says it this way, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow. How strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Man, I'm just telling you, you get your eyes on Jesus and you may not understand it, but you'll be going, wow, that stuff just doesn't matter as much as it used to. See, everything in your life has a Jesus implication. And when you begin to understand that, it changes you. So so what's going on in your life that needs to be seen more through the presence of who Jesus is? Understand your spiritual position. Keep an eternal perspective. And then get this. This is where it gets hard. Destroy the earthly passions. He literally says, put to death the sinful passions of this earth. He says, when you're raised to Christ, you're now dead to sin. What does that mean? You still desire to sin, but sin doesn't have to control you. You're no longer a slave to sin. Don't you love it when we sing those words? You're no longer a slave to sin. Some of you are walking around in chains, chained up by things that are controlling your life when you have been set free in Christ. The old things have passed away. We're supposed to look different. You ever been really dirty? Back when I was younger, I I did some hiking on the Appalachian Trail. For a few years, I worked at an outdoors camp for boys. One of the things we do is we would take the guys out for a week, just out camping. Part of what they'd have to do is, is they would be alone. I mean, no one around them for one of the nights. Rain, thunder, lightning, whatever. We're in the mountains of South and North Carolina. I can remember the end of that week. Man, I was filthy. I mean, I stunk. I could see the dirt on me. And and I was going back to a camp. It was not like I was going back even to the Holiday Inn Express. I mean, in these camp showers back in the nineteen nineties, I'm not sure it's even legal today what we had to bathe in. But I mean, but I was ready. I mean, we got back to that camp. I took off those dirty clothes, I kind of peeled them off slowly, those dirty clothes. I stayed in that shower until every ounce of that hot water was gone. I used every bit of soap and shampoo I had to clean myself. Then I went back to my room and I i put back on those dirty socks and those filthy pants and no, I didn't. I mean, that would be dumb. That would stink. And yet that's what some of you are doing. You, you say that Christ cleans you. And yet you're not letting go of those things that are part of your old life. And it stinks. And, and you know the irony about it? Everybody around you can tell it stinks. But you don't see it. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. The barnabas effect that will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online thanks again for listening to the barnabas effect today and now we continue with our message so what's he talking about if there's any confusion he listed look, look at the list sexual immorality impurity lust and evil desires and, and that's the kind that often people in the church go amen because we're thinking about those people out there even though again around the church all my life all of these things are taking place in the church sexual immorality impurity lust evil desires is that you all of these come from a word that today we put into the english word pornography perneo is that you Then he says, don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. And now that starts to hurt because we can struggle with greed, right? Because all greed is is saying, no, you can't have that. Not that part of me. No, I'm not going to give up that, Lord. And the reason this is a problem is because it's idolatry. An idol is anything, even a good thing that you put in the place of a, the best thing. And so at the, at the core of our Christian faith is this idea of surrender. Remember, we already said that. And, and surrender is when I'm opening my hands, my heart, my life to Jesus and say, wherever you lead, I'll go. Whatever you say, I'll do. That's Christianity. The earliest of Christians did that knowing that might mean they would die because of the profession of their faith. Greed is opposite of that. Greed is closing the fist and saying, no, 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 not that, Lord. Not now, not here, not me. So it's a big deal. What Paul's saying is if you're controlled by any of these things, any of this list, that means you're not being controlled by Jesus, which means Jesus is not the Lord of your life. And so that's where it gets anxious in church because remember, I've sat where you're sitting and that's when we begin to squirm a little bit and we look at our watch and we think, all right, because this is where it hurts because there are things in our life where we're not giving him control. What are you holding on to that God wants you to give up? We're not there yet. I hadn't touched. I forgot we're not through with the list. He also talks about anger and rage and malicious behavior and slander. And dirty language. So it's not just the things you do. Huh? It's, it's what we say. And even our attitude. Yeah. And then he says don't lie to one another. And some of us are living a lie. And the problem is all of these things. They're not only problematic personally. They're destructive to the unity of the body of Christ. And, and so the reason that some of you have been a part of churches where there have been splits and divides and problems it is because these things go on among those of ourselves that call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, and it's not addressed, and it divides us because it's hard. It's hard to be around these kind of people. To live above with saints we love, oh, that will be such glory, but to live below with those we know, now that's another story, right? Right? So I want to challenge us because, again, 30 years since I um, set aside my life for vocational ministry, there's so much I'm still learning. But this I know, apart from the supernatural act of God, the biggest influence on the lives of children and those watching you are the attitudes and actions of adults toward their church and her leaders. And not everybody's in this category because sin grips all of us and ultimately we make choices. But some of you, some of you've never been content in your church. And you've never liked fill-in-the-blank pastor. And, And you go home and you talk about it and talk about everything that's wrong. And you have roast pastor for lunch. And then you wonder why your kids grow up and don't follow Jesus. Don't expect others to prioritize the things they watch you criticize and marginalize. It doesn't work that way. So are any of these earthly struggles for you? Now it kind it of hits home, doesn't it? Can I remind you of something we learned last week because I don't want this to be discouraging. I want to encourage you. Remember what the Bible says in Colossians 2 about your sin and my sin? It says that Jesus canceled the debt And that he nailed them to the cross. Do you remember that picture of all of our sin nailed to the cross? The charges against us? So, what did Paul say? He said, You used to do these things when your life was a part of the world, but your position changed. You're now in Christ. That's why I love First Corinthians six. It says, "Didn't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, who commit adultery, who are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, who are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people—none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But some of you were like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God." Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. How bad are these things? Paul says this, this list, this earthly passion, it's so bad that it, it causes the ensuing judgment of God. And really that's talked about in Scripture in two different ways. One way is when God's judgment was poured out the wrath of God on Jesus on the cross for your sin and my sin. The other way is when Jesus will return as King of Kings, Lord of Lords and judge this world once and for all. I'm so thankful that my sins were nailed to the cross. I'm so thankful that when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. So I just want to live my life in such a way that when others look at me, they too would see Jesus. Jesus. How do I do that? I put to death these sinful things. I put to death this sinful nature. That's what Galatians 2.20 says. My old self's been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So you're doing evaluation, I'm doing evaluation. What of your old self... Needs to be put to death. I'm just telling you. This passage has been eating my lunch for about three weeks. Because I knew it was coming. And there are some things in my life. That by God's grace I'm putting to death. What about you? Keep your eyes on Jesus. When you do you're positioned for success. So then you're able to do this last thing. Develop christ-like patterns i'm positioned in christ i have an eternal perspective i'm destroying earthly passions and then i'm gonna work on these jesus habits see sanctification sanctification is a big churchy word which means becoming more and more like jesus and it's always comprised of two parts it's always forsaking sin and pursuing holiness holiness Our position in Christ takes place instantly. So when I truly trust in Jesus, he forgives me of my sin, I'm now following him. I'm in him. The Holy Spirit seals me. I can't lose that if that truly took place. But sanctification takes place over time. That means, uh, let's just do some math. If you're 76 and you've been a, a Christian for 60 years... And you're still married, praise the Lord. Um, If you're a man, your wife should think you look more like Jesus today than you did 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago because I'm constantly being sanctified. I'm constantly putting to death the things of the earth and I'm constantly developing these godly habits, these patterns. And Paul calls that putting on the character of Christ. These are the new clean clothes. It's the clothes you put on. And what are they? Just look at this list. It's encouraging. Tender-hearted mercy. (laughs) So we're evaluating, right? All of us. How do the people around you know you? Do they say, man, they have such a tender heart? Or do they think of you as grumpy and negative? I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying, how do you think people think of you? Do you show off that you're tender-hearted and mercy? What is mercy? Mercy means I'm not giving you what you deserve. So if I'm giving you what you deserve, when you cut in front of me, maybe you give them the one-way to Jesus sign, or maybe you lay on the horn, or or, or maybe you speed up, or or whatever. Or, or that's just one example, right? But that's not showing mercy. Tender-hearted mercy is saying, man, I realize that that might be me tomorrow. Kindness, this just gives me a chance to remind you that a Christ follower never has the liberty to be unkind. Humility. I'm reading through the Bible. Today I was in Zephaniah. Can anybody quote anything from Zephaniah? I'd be impressed if you could. You know, in Zephaniah this morning, is talking about how God honors the humble and he opposes the proud again and again in Scripture. Gentleness, Jesus was gentle and lowly. Is how he was known and patient. This <laughs> kind of a hard time of year to be patient, isn't it? We were late for something the other day, and I turned to Anaya, and I said, I'm sorry, baby. I, she was talking to me. I said, I, I got to focus right now. The the traffic's, <laughs> the traffic's so bad. Bless her heart. She can't see a thing. And she said, yeah, I know. It's Christmas. Crazy drivers. I <laughs> don't know where she heard that. <laughs> Patience. <laughs> and then what about this one? Oh friend, what about this one? Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. Forgive others. That's right. Sound the alarm, wake up because this is probably this is probably the most important thing you'll hear. Forgive. Say that with me. Say forgive yeah we need to learn that can can i just ask you would just in advance i, I don't know of anything i don't think but would you forgive me cuz guess what as a pastor i'm not perfect hang around me long enough i'm going to let you down i'm gonna, i'm going to be in a hurry and pass by and not maybe say the things i should i, I may i may respond in a way or or not respond in a way that, that i need to but at the heart of who we are is forgiveness. And, and that's that's in relationships and what may in everybody else's eyes be small things. And then that's in the biggest of big things. And, and I, I saw an example of that this week. And guys, the Christ life is intended to look different because when it does, people look at us and they see Jesus. And the truth is for some of, the people in your little corner of the world, you may be the only Jesus that they ever see. And that's why he goes on to say, so let all of yourself, clothe all of yourself with love and let the peace of Christ rule in you. You've been listening to The Barnabas
2: Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement but it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk Tampa, online at letstalkfaith.com.